Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, May 16th. How can Canada best prepare to handle future threats of foreign interference and how can we effectively bolster national security? We discuss with Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. WestJet pilots have issued a strike notice and could possibly be on the picket line as early as Friday morning. How might this impact your travel plans? We get the latest details on the potential work stoppage from Global News reporter Michael King. Would you sign up to watch commercials in exchange for a brand new 4K TV? Well, a new company called Telly is hoping you will. We catch up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for details on this interesting offer. It's not just foreign interference. I think that's also important to remember. It is classic espionage. It is the theft of of intellectual property. It's cyber attacks. It's across a whole range of different activities. So the threat is very real. China, I think, is leading the way, but it's it's not the only threat actor. That was a clip from the latest episode of the West Blocks, uh, the conversation with former National Security Security Advisor Vincent Rigby. West Block host and Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson joins us now to discuss. Good morning and happy Tuesday to you, Mercedes. Good morning and happy Tuesday. Uh, From your conversations, the latest episode on the West Block, what is the state of Canada's national security and are we prepared as a nation to deal with foreign influence and pressing global, global security concerns from what you're hearing? So from what I'm hearing, people are saying, you know, the national security agencies are, are a little bit dated. They could use, for example, a new national security strategy. We haven't had one of those since 2004. If you think about 2004, we're talking Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, the world is a very, very different place with the threat actors now being China and Russia rather than Al-Qaeda uh, as the, the priority. And what we were hearing from national security experts is that there are modern tools that are needed for these intelligence agencies to do their jobs, updates to their mandates, as well updates to their oversight, their political oversight. And that's where our guests said there's a real hole. Because when it comes to political oversight, they say that our politicians just don't have much of a national security culture in the way, for example, the United States does. And as a result, they don't always know how to interpret intelligence. There's no cohesive oversight body at the political level. Yes, there is a parliamentary committee, which the prime minister likes to point to, but that's not where all of this information is briefed to. So um, I found it very interesting for example, to find out that the CSIS director would brief uh, Marco Mendicino, public safety minister, for example. Meanwhile, the national security and intelligence advisor would brief the prime minister. But neither the prime minister nor the public safety minister are sitting in on the other one's briefing and hear it. But they have to go and discuss that and make a decision. So what you have now is a very busy politician who, who may not have a strong grasp, and this is not along party lines, but politically generally, may not have a strong grasp of the information in the file or of national security, but off they go to make decisions based on what they've been told, and you can get into a bit of a game of telephone. Uh, So folks are saying that perhaps it's time to have a more coherent way uh, to deal with that information and briefing, and to find out where some of the information that that clearly has been falling through the cracks has been going and why. Is it that politicians don't want to hear it? Is it that national security agencies think they don't want to hear it or don't think it's important and aren't flagging it properly? Is it getting lost in sort of the bureaucratic morass between intelligence agencies and the prime minister's office, uh, known as the Privy Council office. You know, there, there's sort of a lot of questions about how all of this is unfolding and a suggestion that maybe we can not only have more up-to-date and mature institutions, but more political knowledge that would be helpful. 
Shocking that one hand wouldn't know what the other hand is doing. Um, so it's been very reactive, obviously, then, and obviously lots of criticism and pointing to the need for an update to Canada's national security strategy. So is that in place? Is that happening as we speak? Or, I mean, is that something that we really know it might be fulfilled soon? Maybe, maybe one day, Sue. Mm. There's no plans right now to do this. Uh, this conversation, you know, has just sort of started in recent weeks, which is why we wanted to have it on the West Block to say, you know, beyond just um, the stories that we're hearing about individual situations and attempts to influence a diplomat, like if it's happening in one place, it could be happening in others. What's the state of sort of the, this national security apparatus in Canada? Um, and these things take a long time. For example, the government declared a defense review um, that was supposed to be finished months ago, but it's been pushed until much later this year, and multiple sources told me that was to avoid the budget. They didn't want to have to spend a lot of money on defense. Um, and, and that was a planned update. This one isn't even planned. So it, it could be a long ways off. Now, that said, all the experts are saying you should have that big picture strategy because it drives who you are and how you operate and what you prioritize but there are also things that could be done right now to to update some of these institutions that don't require the full defense review or or waiting on that or pardon me national security review (laughs) mercedes let's bring it home to alberta here and of course we're under the provincial state of emergency the wildfires having an impact a big time in the province and we're hearing that um, having an impact on the campaign strategies of alberta's ndp and ucp what are you hearing about that level of impact on the parties Yes, it's been interesting. I mean, this is obviously, I I would caution, may have evolved in the days since the discussion we had with our panel, um, which was a few days ago, because the the situation in Alberta, as you well know, is precarious and it's changing, you know, hour by hour with these fires. But what we were being told um, by Nahed Nenshi, the former mayor of Calgary, uh, Janet Brown, the pollster, and Monty Solberg, who's a former federal conservative MP, is that so far the wildfires really haven't had an effect on the campaign. Um, That doesn't mean it couldn't change, but they, they have not for example, potentially massively favored Danielle Smith, um, which which can be something that happens when there's an emergency and you have an incumbent. It has made visibility for Rachel Notley a little bit tougher, uh, but it's also made campaigning tougher for Danielle Smith because if you look too much like you're campaigning in the middle of an emergency, uh, she actually ran into this last week, right, where she said, I have to go uh, from one of these fire briefings, and then it turned out she's going to a campaign event. Not surprising when you're in the middle of an election, but it's not necessarily great mm-hmm. from optics perspective. Um, you know, they're sort of saying it it will not be the make or break of, of this campaign, um, which was interesting to me because I thought it might be having more of an effect than that. But so far, anyhow, uh, our panelists didn't think that, that it's having any drastic changes. From most accounts, it is shaping up to be a pretty tight election race here in Alberta. What are you hearing from your experts, uh, NDP, UCP? What do they need to do, either party, to kind of get the edge in this current race? Well, what I'm hearing is that um, Daniel Smith needs to convince people that she is more than some of the highly controversial comments that she's claimed, that she's capable of governing. Um, and, and she has to try to get her governance record out there, which in many ways has been more moderate than her rhetoric. Um, for Rachel Notley, she needs to try to convince people that the NDP can take the province again, that they are pro-oil, pro-gas. These are things that are going to get them 
elected in Calgary, the city you're in, which is going to be probably the deciding factor in this race, is, is which direction Calgary goes in. And there's some very tough ridings there that could really go either way. So right now, they just need to be hitting the ground. They need to be convincing those voters who are not decided, right? Because there's a lot of voters who are hardcore UCP or they're hardcore NDP. These are the voters that maybe voted UCP last time, but they're not so sure about Danielle Smith. That's who Rachel Notley has to attract. And Danielle Smith has to convince them, give the UCP another chance, give us more time. So that's really what their goals have to be uh, heading into these final weeks of the campaign. Of course, we'll be carrying, as with our TV partners on Global News, the debate on Thursday night. Can we underscore how important and how influential this debate is going to be in shaping voters' decisions, Mercedes? So that's, that's a great question. We get it every election about debates. People tend to think they're very, very important. They are very, very important from a policy perspective. From an actual opinion perspective, they rarely significantly move people unless someone has such a massive victory or says something so astronomically stupid that it <laughs> sticks with them for the rest of the race. And that's actually quite rare. So it can help or hurt a little bit, but generally debates are, are more important so that people are informed on candidate stances on the issues, as well as an opportunity to see how they perform. But from a, is it a, a deciding factor in an election? Uh, no. And that's actually why you see a lot of candidates and parties avoid them. As a journalist, I hate that. We love to see and hear as much as we can from candidates so that people can be informed. But that's why you'll often see, um, you know, certain candidates skip debates. You can't skip a leader's debate uh, in this case because they view it as a risk and very little reward. So we'll see if someone says something crazy in this debate uh, or terribly overperforms or wonderfully, sorry, terribly underperforms or wonderfully overperforms. Um, but short of that, uh, there's sort of uh, an opportunity for voters to get to know the candidate better. We'll be watching to see which one of those things happens. Thank you so much for joining us, Mercedes, this morning. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Thanks. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block and again the TV Leaders Debate will be broadcast live Thursday, 6 p.m. on Global Television and right here on QR Calgary. The union representing some 1,800 pilots at WestJet and Swoop could be on the picket line Friday morning after issuing strike notice last night. Now passengers are wondering what that means for their upcoming travel plans. Global News reporter Michael King joins us now live from the Calgary airport. Morning, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Good yourself. Excellent. Thank you. What can you tell us just to begin? Where are both sides at now as strike notice has been given and negotiations hopefully will start soon? Well, we know that uh, as the two sides uh, began negotiations months ago, those talks eventually broke down. They asked for a uh, federal arbitrator. That obviously didn't work. And now we're at the position we're at right now. So last month, uh, we saw this coming on the horizon. The union representing the pilots went through and held a strike vote. 93% of pilots who took part in that voted in favor of job action. Last night, uh, we saw them actually file their 72-hour strike notice. That means that uh, they can walk off the job as early as 3 a.m. Mountain Time on Friday. That would mean huge disruptions across the entire network, both here in Canada and abroad. Uh, this also includes pilots for Swoop. So if you're flying with Swoop in the next couple of days, this is something to also keep in mind. The biggest things that they're talking about in negotiations, it's no surprise, uh, things that we've been hearing from the pilots before, job protection, uh, pay. The biggest issue, they say, is that they're currently not uh, being matched compensation-wise with uh, the pilots down in the United States. They say there's about a 45% pay gap there, so they want to see that close. They realize that the airline's not going to 
come up to that 45%, but that's their starting point. They also want to take a look at uh, scheduling. We know from a pilot's perspective, they spend a lot of days away from home. So a couple of things that they still need to address, and obviously they're not close enough. So that's where we're at right now. Do we know, Michael, and this might be a loaded question because we're not even at Friday yet, uh, but I'm sure there's more than a few people out there who've booked on WestJet in the coming days and weeks ahead. Is there any recourse for them or is there something they should be doing right now in preparation in, in case we do see the pickets up on Friday? So the biggest thing is that if you have a reservation with WestJet or Swoop, you want to go in there and you want to make sure that your email address and your phone number are are on the reservation. That's how the airline's going to get in touch with you because we can imagine that getting through to customer service over the next couple of days is going to be a nightmare. So you're going to want to make sure the airline can get in touch with you. If you don't need to fly, you just want to refund, that is going to be an option if they do take uh, strike action. If you need to get where you're going, you will be reaccommodated. They're going to try and get passengers on uh, other flights that could mean booking with other airlines. So that's something that they're going to be kind of taking a look at. The other thing is that we've been speaking with travel agents. The last couple of weeks have been a nightmare because passengers are calling them saying, hey, I'm booked on WestJet. What am I supposed to do? What they've been doing is booking a ton of refundable tickets on other airlines. The tricky thing with that is that you usually have to cancel those 24, 48 hours beforehand or else you're on the hook for those. So if you do go through and you want to make sure you have a backup plan, you can go ahead and do that. But if you're flying the next couple of days and it turns out the WestJet uh, isn't taking strike action, you're not getting a refund there, you might be on the hook for two tickets. So really it all comes down to how badly you need to get to where you're going. Michael, do we know exactly sort of what strike action will look like? Will they be on picket lines? Will they just be delaying flights? So what, do we have any idea of that yet? From what we've heard, this will be picket lines, and this will be grounding of uh, most, if not the entire fleet for WestJet and Swoop. So this will be wide-ranging. Uh, again, the pilots seem like they have uh, solidarity here. I don't think there would be many individuals crossing the picket lines, and even then be a very, very sporadic schedule. So it really seems like this would see WestJet and Swoop's entire operations. Again, they'll have planes uh, abroad, uh, and that's something that we're going to be watching over the next couple of days and seeing whether or not, even before the strike action comes into play, whether or not they try and reschedule some of those flights and play with their scheduling there. But this could see the entire network kind of grind to a halt. Just before I let you go, Michael, a question from a texter by the name of Cody. How does it work if flights get cancelled? Is it considered something that the airline had control over? Would people be compensated? Do we know about that side? That's interesting because we're actually going to be hearing from the transport minister later on today. Uh, It's something kind of unrelated, but we're also going to be hearing from one of the passenger uh, rights advocates, Gabriel Lucas. Uh, You've probably had him on your show. We've had him on Global a bunch of times. So he's going to be speaking uh, at Parliament today. This will obviously come up. It'll be interesting to see exactly where the compensation side comes into play we know you'll be entitled to a refund whether or not there'll be any additional compensation we'll have to see we haven't seen a pilot strike in a long time we haven't seen it from WestJet, so this is going to be something that's going to have to play out and that's going to be a question that will need to be answered within the next uh, day or so here because again this clock is ticking thanks so much for your time michael really appreciate the update of course that's michael king global news reporter at the calgary airport how does a free 4K TV sound? Oh, yeah. That's the promise a new startup is offering south of the border. And all you have to do is watch some advertisements. Gadget guy Mike Yanni joins us now on this Tech Tuesday to talk TVs, overheating smartphones, and the soaring cost of fruit roll-ups. Good morning, Mike. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, that last one's a bizarre one. Yeah, That's it is for sure. One. Let's start with the television because I think we're all in for a free telly. 
It sounds so good, right? A free 55-inch 4K TV. And the TV actually has a lot of bells and whistles. There's a camera built in, a sound bar, a microphone array, so you can do video calls, uh, motion capture, fitness apps, a voice assistant built in, and it's yours for free. But here's the catch. There's always a catch, right? There's always a catch. It's the fact you have to watch ads. So there is a second screen. There's This is a dual screen TV. The second screen actually runs along the side of it. So it's a lot more narrow and it almost looks like a banner ad that you would see when you're going online. So the catch is you sign up for the service. It's called Telly and it's just launching in the States. You sign up, you give some information about your family, how many household members there are, your ages, what you like to watch. And then you you get the TV in the mail, you, you plug it in and it's yours for free. But it starts monitoring what you watch. It starts collecting that information from you. And of course, you see those ads all the time. So it's almost like a ticker on the bottom where you have your sports scores, your weather, and then you have ads for, you know, restaurants and all those kind of things. I don't know. What do you guys think? Would you, I, well, would you for want this? Some people, if, if they don't care, if they can get past that, that's fine. But to a certain extent, I know that my kids have kind of been groomed to not watch commercials mm. via like Netflix, depending on which one you have, and, yeah. and Prime. So now when a commercial pops up, they don't even know what to do with it. So it's an interesting thing. I don't know. For free, though, not not a bad thing for 4K. I don't know if the youngies would like it. That's the oldies saying. probably wouldn't bother them so much. I think what bugs me about it, though, is the fact that your personal information is now currency. And, yeah. you know, sadly, the people that are being targeted here are the ones that don't have money uh, or not a lot of money. So, you know, there's that enticing offer of it's free. It's a 55-inch TV, and it's enticing to upgrade because it's actually quite nice. But the fact that they're getting all of this personal information from you, there's no way to turn it off. If the TV's on, it's constantly collecting. I'm not sure about this. So we'll see if this takes off because who knows? It, it may show up in Canada soon. All right. Let's talk about something else that's heating up, not in a good way. The Google Pixel. Tell us about this. I think at some point, even if you have an iPhone or another smartphone, there's been a point where you've picked up your phone and go, oh, wow, it's really hot, and notice the battery's drained. And you know what? You, you shut it down, you reset it, and it returns to normal, and it's just kind of a glitch. But some of the Pixel phones, the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 7, have been having this issue for almost two weeks now where it's getting piping hot in their hands, their battery's draining rapidly, and then it just shuts down. And so people have been complaining over a week on, on the forums, and Google's been very quiet. But last night they did announce that they've caught, they found the issue. The Google app on their end, there was a backend problem, and it was causing phones to uh, have a shortened battery uh, life and overheating. So they are now rolling out a fix. So if this is, if you're impacted by this and you've noticed this over the last little while that your your phone's maybe lasting an hour or two hours a day, a fix is coming. You don't have to do anything. It's automatically going to go down to your smartphone. Uh, hopefully, your phone doesn't blow up before that point. Well, you know what? But that's what some people were worried about was the fact that this can damage your battery over a few days if it's overheating continuously and draining yeah. fast. I had so. that happen to an iPhone at one point. It, the battery actually expanded so much it popped open my iPhone, like, and that was the end of the phone. What? Yep. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, it can happen. A little You're lucky crazy. it's low because it can explode. I don't want any of that. Okay. So the story that you alluded to that you're excited about. I'm super your kid excited. at heart. Yeah. And I know Ma, I love uh, me some fruit roll-ups. Mike loves the sweets too. Fruit roll-ups in the tech news? What's happening? I don't know if I'd be willing to pay $8 to $10 for one fruit roll-up, but that is what's happening. This is, this is the power of social media. So fruit roll-ups are viral on TikTok right now. Um, and did you know there's a black market for fruit roll-ups? What? <laughs> yeah. There, there, there hey, literally buddy. is a black Wanna market. Want to buy some <laughs> So, yeah, TikTok videos, people showing uh, wrapping 
fruit roll-ups around ice cream. And what happens is as soon as it hits the ice cream, it starts to freeze almost instantly. And then when you bite into it, it shatters. And people are loving this on TikTok. People are running up buying fruit roll-ups. Some stores can't even keep them in stock. But here's the funny thing is there are some countries and some places in the world where American goods are banned, such as Israel. And right now, a fruit roll-up is going for eight U.S. dollars per fruit roll-up in Israel, and people are smuggling them to the country. There was a couple that was just caught at the airport in Israel smuggling 720 pounds of fruit roll-ups because they are worth that much money right now. Oh, but wow. it, okay, so is it, do people just want them in the videos? I'm so confused. Yeah, people just want them to try this at home, to try to wrap it around ice cream so you can get that sensation of it shattering in your mouth. Andy, you know, once it's on YouTube or Insta, it's everywhere and everybody must do it because that's what we do. If we could only put taking out the garbage and mowing the lawn on YouTube. <laughs> and cleaning on, uh, toilets. You know, and, we can make yeah. that popular. Start working on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, thanks for your time and have a great Tuesday. Thank you. He is Mike Yanni, known as the Gadget Guy. You can find out more about him on social media at Gadget Guy Mike. And, of course, always check out his YouTube channel. Search up Gadget Guy Mike Yanni. And I have a box of fruit roll-ups at home that I'm willing to sell.